So last week we were we were looking at a portion in in the book of Acts, uh, chapter two, about the response of the Jewish people to this event at Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. There were some unusual things that take place in terms of these tongues of fire and uh, the wind of the Spirit of God upon the, the, peop- the disciples, the people who were gathered. And they spoke in other tongues. And, and so then in this pilgrimage celebration of the Feast of Weeks, they, the people coming from all different regions of the, of the area are amazed at what's going on. They're, they're, they're amazed and they're perplexed. What's, what does this thing mean? What's going on here? So uh, we looked at the application or the implication, I guess, of people that are lost. We worked from the Gospel of Luke and the story of the parable of the lost son. We talked about the lostness of people as it related to that audience, uh, people who are good people, Jewish followers, um, but still outside of Christ. <clears throat> we talked about the impact of what it means to be lost and its application to this group of people. Now, what I, here's what I want to do today. I want to come around again on the subject of the lostness of people. Here's my concern. We can talk about the core value of the lostness of people, and, and you may you can memorize it. You say, lost people matter to God. He wants them found. It can be a mental bullet point that sticks here. But what does that mean? How does it change my actions toward people who are lost? What's, what ought to be my response? How should that change the way I live? So I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to go to the book of Acts chapter 8. I'm going to jump ahead. And I told you before, we may take it in sequence, but I may go ahead and pull something or whatever. So Acts chapter 8. We're going to drop down to a story of a, of a character, of a person in, in, the, in, the, in the early church. His name was Philip. His name was Philip. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read the story. And then I want to... Go a different direction, and I may come around to make some comment on this Acts 8 story. In the meanwhile, just hang on. So here we go. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up 
and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave, the, gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Can you, can you picture that? You know, the guy, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, uh, maybe, maybe next week I might drill down in that Acts 8 portion, because that's a fascinating portion. There's a lot of pieces in there that have application to us today. Uh, but for right now, what I would like to do is look at some things that relate to the lostness of people. Um, so here, here are a few pieces, uh, items to always keep in mind when we talk about lost people. Lost people are not bad people, necessarily. They're just people that have not come to a place where they've either heard or responded to the truth of God's word. Um, it's possible, we've said this before, it's possible to be lost in the church. It's possible to be a good person, but never really come to a place of faith in Christ. You think, well, okay, it's, I'll, just, I'll just go to church and be a good kid. Or I'll go to church and stay out of trouble and be a good adult. It's, it's, lostness is more, more than that issue. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it is an eternal issue that if you do not address at some point in time along the journey, you will find yourself outside looking in, outside of Christ, separated from him. You know, we can talk about uh, what happens to people, good people who pass away and maybe they've never made a commitment of their life to Christ. You can look at that from the scripture and you can talk about how God has given them opportunity to respond to truth. If they choose not to respond to truth, then that's on them. Our responsibility is to be available to God to be part of the solution of bringing lost people into the foundness in Christ. It doesn't mean that you have to do it all. It doesn't mean that that's the preacher's job. It means that we're a part of a team that 
result in one person or another person being part of the process of bringing someone to Christ. In the New Testament, you have the story of the paralytic man who needed to get to Jesus. Four friends grab each side of a, of a litter and they rip open the roof of the building and they let the man down. It's like that where you have people, yous and me's, who just are part of the solution, part of the process, part of the team of getting people to Jesus. One, one writer who, who talks about uh, how, how, how many people does it take before a person comes to a place where they receive enough information that they, that they choose, that they, that they make a decision. And one writer says it takes 4.3 people in the process, 4.3 people. In other words, it, 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 takes, it, it, it takes Don and Rita and Barb and I and uh, 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 a, a 0.3 people, a little, per, <laughs> little person. You know. Maybe the 0.3 person is the person who passed the offering plate. I don't know, I don't know how that works. But, but the, the point is it takes somewhere along the way an encounter, a relationship with people, to bring them to a place where they get the message, they get the word along, along the way. So that, that's one person's opinion, and sometimes it may be take more, sometimes it may not take as many. But the point is that there are, people are required. We all have a part in that. Now, as you go to sleep tonight in your air-conditioned comfort or not, depending on where you're at, when you lay your head down, I want you to be mindful of what I'm calling seven deadly statistics. And I don't know, let's see. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm jumping ahead of myself. I want, first, we're going to look at some changes. So here's the word, changes, changes that are going to occur. As you go to sleep tonight, there are some uh, that's got bonked up. So anyway, so we'll, get, we'll figure that out. As you go tonight, listen to these statistics. I've come across these and I thought, wow, these are, these are amazing. Well, and you don't have these in your notes, but just listen. Just listen for a minute. Number one. The percentage of adults in the United States who attend church is decreasing. Now, now that ought not to be a surprise, because it seems like it, it might have been more socially acceptable or more trendy to go to church maybe a generation ago. It was a little more typical. Like it, it was like people, they did that usually, but, it, it, so it's, but if you've noticed... Some churches are not as full as they used to be, or churches are dying. People, percentage-wise, it's decreasing. Statistic two, roughly half of all churches in America didn't add one new person through conversion growth. Sometimes we, we, we do some church swapping, where you, you proselytize from one theological flavor and you get them and you get them into your church. And that's not conversion growth, that's transfer growth. That's just something that sometimes they don't like it at one spot, so they say, I'm going to go to another spot. And that, it, that's transfer growth, it's not conversion growth. Um, I, I thought, well, I wonder how true this is for our denomination, Christian Missionary Alliance, or our district. We'll get a little bit nosier on that one. 
So, so I, I looked at, our general counsel was held this year, I looked at the reports that they produced for 2017-2018. Here's the good news. In the eastern PA district, their conversion growth rate was up 6%. So in, in uh, 2017, there were 678 professions of faith. In 2018, there were 641 professions of faith. So it was about 6, 6.2 to 5.6%. So while some churches don't haven't add, add, added people to, to the church by conversion, other denominations or churches have the alliances among those that is adding in our eastern district. Uh, I don't remember what the national level was. Okay, number three. Three, here we are. Okay. No matter how you do the math, in terms of the, the calculations, the current conversion rates still point to one horrible conclusion. And that is the message of the, the title of the message. When lost people lose. Lost people lose. When, when we do not believe in our head and heart that lost people matter to God and we don't care, enough to be part of the solution the lost people stay lost they remain unconvinced unconverted that's just a statistic number four some researchers claim that more churches are closing than are opening every year so I thought I wonder how the alliance is doing I wonder how the Eastern District is doing. So I nosed into those reports again. In the Eastern District, in 2017, they opened three churches, closed zero. Okay? In 2018, they opened two churches and closed two churches. So it's kind of like a, a wash there at that point. Denominationally, watch this. In 2017, they opened 24 churches and closed 45 churches. So you have that net loss. And then there's some other stuff in there about, about uh, churches that uh, chose, chose to, de to uh, disaffiliate with the denomination or something. Those, those kinds of things. Anyway, you have a net loss. 2018... They opened 40 churches and closed 41 churches. So the, the track record there on that opening and closing of churches is not really good, even, even for the district, although there may be a net kind of thing. And I, I'm sure that's, that probably ought to be of concern to you because you, you can say, well, what's going to happen to us? And, and I'm not the district superintendent, but I will tell you this. He, I believe he senses that there is a good core group and spirit here. And I think he is going to do everything he can to keep from closing things, to create the preferred future that he believes exists for City Light Church. So that's that just my read, and I'll let him speak to that issue when it's at an appropriate point in time. But I think they really long for that ministry presence of City Light uh, here. That's number four. Number five, 
conversions to other religions and dropouts from Christianity are escalating. Conversions to other religions and dropouts to Christianity is increasing. While church attendance is going down, it's other religions or these Christianity dropouts that seem to be increasing. Now, it may not be huge, but it's a shift. It's a movement that's going on. Number six, the decline in Christianity has been going on for nearly 50 years. Uh, that's as long as we've been, we've been married. Yeah, okay. Uh, Don and Judy married, too. But we've been married a year longer. So anyway, be that. Measuring sticks. But at any rate, at any rate, it, when, I was, when I was a young person in Erie, I began to attend an Alliance church. And uh, even before then, I attended a small little Bible church. Uh, uh, and, and, and people went to church. They went to church. That was, that was the thing that they usually did. However, things started to shift. We became more prosperous. We began to have more free time, it seemed. And so the pursuit of a whole lot of other things and activities and stuff resulted in that shift that the church was, okay, but, but I'm beginning to pursue some other things. And so now, in our day, we, we sometimes call it Christianity light, Christianity light, so that you can be a, a, a member of a church, but, but be there half of the 52 Sundays in a given year. Uh, and so there's this whole shift in terms of what it means to be a Christian and what that looks like. But it's, that slide has been going on. Last week we talked about the slippery slope of sin for the church. There's a slide that's occurring. The last piece is this. Too many church people believe and behave identically to their unchurched counterparts. In other words, there isn't a lot of difference between you and the people on the outside of this wall of this room when there ought to be a difference but there really hasn't been so when you study statistics on a variety of things you start looking at the percentage of Christians who end up being divorced you find that the rate is very similar to people who are non-Christian and so in, in essence it's almost saying almost almost implying that Jesus really doesn't make a difference he really doesn't make a difference. Now, I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus does make a difference. And he is the glue that keeps people together in process. The one, one, people, one couple that have been married for a long time. I don't know if it was 50 years. I think maybe, maybe they were celebrating. And, and he was being interviewed. He said, in, in that time, have you ever thought of divorce? Ask, ask the wife. Have you ever thought of divorce? She said, no, murder a few times, but not divorce. <laughs> so I suppose it can always be there in terms of that prospect. But uh, those are changes. We, we live in a world of permanent change. Things are always changing. You, you go into the grocery store and you go where they used to stock something or other that you used to buy, and you found they moved it. 
Oh, where's it? Oh, it's over in the gluten-free section. So you got shopping over in the gluten-free section and you go there one day. Where'd they go? Well, they moved the cereal back with all the cereal. And it's just like, oh. you know, keep your hair short like Dan. So you know, pull it out, you know. So we live in a world of permanent change. And change is not always good, but it's always there. We've got to be very careful in terms of how we respond to that, particularly in light of this issue of the lostness of men. People have always been lost. They always need have been needing to be found. But the issue is, uh, is, is that something that I'm choosing to embrace and believe? And what difference does that practically make to how I live and what I do? We'll talk about some practical ways of how that works its way out. So if our world is in change, the question is now, how does our mindset needs to change? What are some things that have to happen? And so... In the approach that we take in mission and ministry, if you will, to the, in the church, you've got seemingly two options. It can be ministry as status quo or ministry as mission. Those are seemingly the two options that we faced with, status quo. The hope that things will change, but we don't really want to push a lot to try to create changes, things that positively we need to accept things we need to do that are different. Otherwise, um, it, that's a status quo kind of minister. Or else we, we, we can become very missional. Now, I don't know if I put this. Yeah, I did put this in the, in the notes. Look at that. The next line down says, any church that does not make the shift will die or become hopelessly irrelevant to the people the Bible calls it to love, serve, reach, and even die for. If we, if we just kind of... Keep thinking that we'll just go to church, we'll keep showing up, and maybe things will be different. Uh, that's insanity. Uh, we've got to be able to find ways to create meaningful ministry, missional ministry to the needs of people. Not just the gang in this facility, but people outside. And how do we relate to them? I'll talk a little bit about that. And so you need to have a mission outpost view of the local church that will keep it from turning into a landmark instead of a lighthouse. Uh, people will come up and down Old River Road, and they'll notice, oh, there's that church on the corner, become a landmark for them. Oh, yeah, it's across from the garage. It's down the road from the pharmacy. It's down the road from the school, you know, and they can say, well, I can give you the geography, the longitude, latitude, but is it a lighthouse? That's a wonderful phrase. We've got city light, lighthouse, you know, or is it a landmark? And it's the difference between ministry as status quo and ministry as mission. So an important piece from that side. Okay, change. We're faced with change all the time. Second piece here is we've got to acknowledge three fundamental needs. We all have them. You may not have come in and said in your head, here are the three needs that I have as I'm coming to worship today. But I guarantee you, they are part of your thought process, part of your being. The first one is this, transcendence. You say, well, transcendence, that's, that's rather abstract. All I'm saying is this, that people need to have Someone, something bigger than themselves. 
They look for someone or something bigger than themselves. God may disclose himself to them. Uh, 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 one starry night where they sit and look at the star and say, boy, there must be something behind this thing, this creation. I watched last night the uh, re review of, of the Apollo landing, which happened on our anniversary. It happened uh, the first anniversary. It's a nice way for them to celebrate our anniversary when we were doing that. But, uh, <laughs> but so where I was thinking back and I thought, well, my goodness, let's see. That was one year after. Barb was five months pregnant with our first child. And uh, I thought, yeah. And I remember watching some of that, but I don't remember all the details. So it was fascinating to just kind of see the timeline of how that all worked, all that information. But one of the things that was observed is that there was a lot of stuff that was going on for the first time in terms of, wow, this is quite a view from the moon, or this is a view as the earth comes up. Instead of a moonrise, you had an earth rise. You know, it just comes into view. And just fa the fascinating pictures that they had and took. But I believe that one of our basic needs is a sense of transcendence, that there is a God who is, is out there, and, and, and we, we believe in something, but we need more information. That's the general revelation of God. The special revelation is in the disclosed truth of God's word. But there's a sense of transcendence. A second need that you and I have is a sense of significance. Significance. In other words, it's simply saying, what matters? Who am I in this world? What is my purpose for being here? What makes me important? Why should I bother living? And you can develop a whole number of different thoughts about what that looks like, but I will tell you this. From a biblical perspective, you are important enough to God that he gave his only son to sacrifice himself for the sin of the world and your sin included down the tunnel of time and you are worth something. You are worth a tremendous amount to God that he would give his son to do that. So never lose sight of the fact that this transcendent being, this God whom we worship, has in mind a plan and purpose for your life. You have significance to him. You are worth it. So when young people despair and they think they're going to find their identity and tripping out over this, that, or the other, or taking the latest and greatest, you're worth much more than that. When older people think oh, the quality of my life is really not good and I wish I could, remember that you are someone important to God and he always has his purpose and plan for you. The third need that we have, and this one I think is really a key one, is community. We need each other. We need each other. Now you can live from Sunday to Sunday and never touch base with another person from City Light Church. I suppose it's possible. Hopefully there are some things that are, are going on that cause you to want to connect with somebody else. But there is a sense of community. So that when, when life turns upside down and you're wondering what in the world is going to happen next or what's going on in this, you will, you, will, you will remember that you're not in this thing alone. There are other people who are there with you. And it may be something as simple as a prayer connection. It may be something as simple as a small group kind of thing. It may be something as simple as just talking one-on-one -on -one with somebody that, 
that may be going through a similar kind of struggle. Maybe it's a loss of a family or a friend, or maybe it's a loss of a job. I, I, we visited with folks this week, um, uh, friends that we've known for a number of years, the previous ministry in New Cumberland. We went over, Barb wanted to get her hair looked at, and they, she, she, she got her hair looked at. She got it all prettied up and all curly and permed and whatever else they do. And, uh, and so she got, she got that done, and I was talking with Ernie, and uh, he said, well, we, we just came back from Scotland. They had a lifetime dream. They had to go to Scotland. They spent three weeks in Scotland. And so they got to see all the castles and, and visit the, the, the other Campbell people, the Campbell Castle, and all this kind of stuff. He says, I came back, and I found out that my job just went away. Oh, so here's a guy who's 55, maybe, maybe a little bit older than that. And now he's unemployed. So his job right now is working and finding a job. So that's why he's working resume and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think that was part of the plan. So, so he, he found that there is a community of people uh, who, who say, my gosh, Ernie, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, we're going to be praying for you. If there's anything that you need or we can do, please let me know. And so you just kind of network and all those kinds of things that are part of Those are the realities. Transcendence, significance, Community. Those are all basic needs that we have. The shift in society's view of the church resulted in the marginalization of the church and the secularization of society. In other words, the church is viewed almost as irrelevant. Yeah, it's not a nice thing to do. It's for old people and people that don't have much mental acumen up here that they don't know. There's a whole lot smarter things they should be doing. Like that's that's kind of a Maybe that's an unkind way to characterize it. But the point is they just kind of think that that's maybe not for typical of society. But the church has been pushed to the side. Church has been pushed to the side. And that's a whole other sermon anyway. The primary reason America is so unchurched is that Christianity has no relevance to the vast majority of those we hope to reach. It, it, it doesn't seem to, there's no connect. They can't figure out, well, what's the value of doing this church thing or or this Jesus road or whatever. They can, can't figure what, what the connection is. So here's two questions. And uh, in the study, I, I, just as a food for thought kind of thing. So here's the questions. Why do you think most people do not look to the church for their life's orientation? And how could Christians make Christ's message as relevant as possible today? So, so, Dare you think with me out loud for a moment? Let's look at that first one. Why do you think most people do not look to the church for their life's orientation? In other words, their meaning, their significance, their purpose. Why don't they look to the church? What about all these empty seats? Why don't those? Why aren't? Why aren't people inquiring? What comes to your mind? Talk to me. This is interactive preaching, okay? So that, are you raising your hand or you're pointing? Oh, okay. Yeah, go. What's that? They look elsewhere for uh, guidance, okay? So it's no longer the church is the, filling the role of when I run into this struggle or problem, well, maybe somebody at the church knows or something. It, they're finding answers in other spots. 
Why else do you think that most people don't look to the church for their life's orientation? Yeah, Mike? Okay. Okay. And it's not just colleges, it's educational schools, it's Yeah, education in general. Okay. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Religion is a is another thing. It's something that doesn't hurry yeah. Someone else? Dan? Wow. Afraid they're going to have to change the way they live. Okay, they, they prefer, they're in a mess where they're at, but they but they think they've got to change. And, and the truth is, maybe they do need to change, but maybe they don't like the changes that they think the church is saying needs to happen along the way. Uh, yeah, honey, you only want to call honey today. Uh, <laughs> We as Christians have not represented Christ well by saying it works. Okay. I have a testimony, not Okay. Somehow we have failed to communicate that Christianity really does work. It really does result in life change. And so the issue we talked about before about the the that there's no no difference between un un Christian, non-Christians and Christians, that's working against us and it, it, it creates a problem. Jim? Uh, afraid to be judged. Afraid to be judged? Yeah. Uh, okay, so they're thinking, yeah, it's, it's just safer for them to explore other options rather than come to church and then somebody's going to look down their righteous nose at them. And, okay, all right, I understand that. And sometimes legalistically we can get our noses pretty long on some of this stuff. Rebecca? Uh, and going on that, but on a bigger scale, there have been some fairly large, uh, well-publicized problems mm. within different branches of the church. Yes. People say, well, they're just all hypocrites, liars, cheaters. Yes. Yeah, the scandals, the, the, the moral failures, the, all, of, all that kind of stuff. That fits right in there. Uh, Um, I'm thinking unbelievers more. Okay. Like, I, I can tell you by personal experience, we never went to church for the Okay. Yeah. We didn't want to be hypocrites ourselves. Okay. No okay. No interest. No interest. So, so be, because it was, it was irrelevant to you, really. Yeah. yeah. It, it had no, no connection. So our challenge is to be authentic uh, spirit-led, spirit-empowered followers of Christ who have experienced or are experiencing the transforming power of Christ in my life that changes me into the, the, the person that God longs for me to become. And uh, that, that may look different than the guy who's out there on the street or gal who's out there on the street who, whose moral compass is all askew and, and are living for themselves rather than for some transcendent person being God. And so you, you get into the, the, the landmines that exist when you, when you live that life, a life of 
holiness before God. Uh, that, that, ha- that, that issue was hammered really well at Life Investment Conference for 5,000 young people, that you, you can live this life of holiness before God. It doesn't mean that you're better than somebody else. It means you're passionate for God and you're moving, moving toward him. So there are people who are on the outside looking in and sometimes they're not even asking. Uh, someone put it this way. We have the answers in Christ. But the, the questions are not being asked. The, the answers we have aren't related to the questions that are being asked. We need to help people find and come to a place of being able to better articulate what is the real question of life? What are the real questions of life? So then the next question there is, how could Christians make Christ's message as relevant as possible today? That's the ongoing challenge that every church has to face, or else it will move itself to obscurity or a landmark instead of a lighthouse. So we've got to be able to push a little bit further at that point. Now, there are some hard choices we're going to have to face. Let's look. just move to the next part a little bit. This the third part. We have to make the hard choices. Hard choices. So here's a question. I don't know if I put it in there. Yeah, I did. I'm, I'm, I, I can't remember what I put on the slides. So anyway, so the same as the outline. What do you think is the best way to approach lost people about the good news of God's love through Jesus? What's the best way? What are some ways that, that people with churches have done? Yes. Yes, by your life individual. You're, you know, it's it's one of these things where we say how you're living speaks so loud. I'm not hearing what you're saying. Okay, that kind of deal. Okay, uh, so how, what's the best way to approach lost people about the good news of God's love through Jesus? What's the best way? Yeah, Linda. Huh? Listen. Okay. Um, we're not. Sometimes we're not very good listeners. We're probably thinking about what we need to say next while we're listening, and that's not really listening. Do you ever ever engage someone in conversation and you know they're looking right past you, glossy-eyed, whatever, and they're just looking to come up with some kind of comeback line? or some kind of right answer that you're expecting ought to be there. Uh, Listening, that means we get fully engaged with people and get a a read on what's going on in their world and in their heart. That's an art and a skill. It can be developed. It can be cultivated in terms of the art of listening, but that's a key piece. Very good, very good. What else? What else? Best way to approach lost people about the good news of God's love. Yeah, Sherry. What? Yeah, let them make their choice. In other words, don't try to fix them. Don't try to. Don't try to. Change them. Let God do the changing. It's, it's like the old line about evangelism. You do the catching, he'll do the cleaning. You know, let God work on them from that side in terms of how he will choose to. 
And, and, and that involves time. That involves listening. That involves sometimes speaking words of truth, even though it may be uncomfortable, maybe. Uh, but but if, if, if the scriptures say, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, then one of the tasks involved in terms of this whole business of reaching lost people with the good news is letting the good news speak for itself. Letting the good news, letting the word of God speak truth to the soul of the person. And, and not trying to force change, but to just bring them to truth because if the truth will set them free. There's a challenge. Um, I'm not done with the interactive part. You know, this is the part I really like. I, I really live in this stuff. Uh, I, this gets my jets going in terms of the interaction of, of the of the truth. Uh, and I want to make sure we get more stuff here before we have to put a, a lid on it here for today. Uh, so here, let's see. Let me give you the four basic reasons why nearly 200 million people in North America will not be in church this weekend. That would be, there's a few empty seats here. Uh, let me tell you why they're not here. First is they view the church as irrelevant. Tragic, but that's their perception. It, 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 it's not, we have this little acronym, W-I-F-F-M. What's it, W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? And for many churches, for many people, they don't view that the church is going to benefit them. Maybe if it's a big church, prestigious churches, where, where, where they have lots of people and I'm in business and I'm looking to try to boost my networking, you know, maybe I'll go to that, that, that church, you know, because that's where the moneyed people go. That's where the power people go. That's where the, the affluent people go. And I want to hobnob with them. I'll get in the right circle. Maybe that might be a motivation. That's probably the lowest of motivations, but be that as it may, it might be something. But sometimes they view the church as irrelevant. Here's a second reason, and this is surprising, but it comes out of some statistics I was reading. Simply put, they've never been invited. They've never been invited. You know, how many people might come next Sunday if we took the time to be watching for God at work in the lives of people and we got into relationship with people and were able to say, um, I'd like you to, would you be interested in coming to church with me next Sunday? We meet at 11 o'clock and then we hang out for a while and we provide coffee and donuts and munchies. And sometimes if you feed them, they will come. So, you know, that's, that's low motivation, but it's probably true. So sometimes they just haven't been invited. And I've heard of some stories where people have talked with, with others and invited them, and, and the person has said, I thought you'd never ask. I thought maybe this was a, a special club of people and you didn't want to have any other people come in. And you're kind of, well, no, but you're inviting them to come. Third reason, 
They have a mistake, mistaken notion that churches care more about their money than about them. We talked about that previously. And here's the last one, and this is, the, this is so characteristic of our day, I believe. And that is, some people have said yes to Jesus, but no to the church. And they are what we sometimes refer to as church-damaged people. There are people that have been caught in the grind of the wheels of the machination of the church, where someone looked down their righteous nose at them and felt made them feel, at least made them feel, like they were not welcome or they were unacceptable or whatever. And, and that has caused them to be discouraged. And they say, if that's the way the churches, them Christian people are going to be, I want nothing to do with it. And they just made that decision. And you know, it only takes one event for that to happen. So you've always got to be on the guard about how is it that we're relating to people? What is it? Are they more convinced about our love for them than how much we know? Uh, someone put it this way. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I, I believe that's, that's a part of our response. They've said yes to Jesus, but no to the church. They're church damaged. So here's a couple questions. Uh, I don't know if I put this on. Yeah. Oh, I, I got this. Okay. So we stop and look. And this is a whole other issue. This is a church demographic issue. This is a history of looking into the community demographic profile. But how has the neighborhood around our church changed in the past 30 years? And I can't answer that question. I haven't been here. So I, I, I lean into guys like Don that have been in the community for a longer while. And what has changed, uh, are there more of this ethnic group than another ethnic group? Where's the economy of it been? All of those kinds of questions that relate to that, how much has it changed? And then the, the question that flows from that is, how has our church changed on the inside in the past 30 years? If we're trying to do, if we're trying to reach people the same way we did it 30 years ago, we may be moving toward a path of irrelevancy. We can't, you know, we come in and sing, sing uh, the same three hymns that we sang uh, when the church doors first opened, and and you go through the same liturgy. And there's got to be some ways in which things get changed a little bit, especially since we live in a world of permanent change. So how are we going to deal with that? Okay. I said I'm going to get to, and uh, <laughs> in your bulletin. I believe, is a, a, a half-page insert. It's called uh, How to Pray for the Lost. Can you find that? Just pull it out now. And uh, I want to talk to you for just a moment. And then I'm going to come back again on it next week. I, I didn't get it all dumped in here today. But this is a part of the challenges that we will face. Um, so, on one side you have this information that says how to pray for the lost. Now, I'm not, when we start talking about how, how do we reach the lost people, sometimes we can begin to think in terms of, well, we need to have a class on personal evangelism. So we're going to hold an evangelism explosion seminar. We're going we're gonna to teach Bill Fay's material on sharing Jesus without fear. That's another tool. We're going to look at campus crusades 
four spiritual laws. And I'll just go back and pull an old one out of the woodwork. And, you know, and, just, you know, and so you come up with methodologies. That's not where I'm starting. Where I'm starting right now is the piece I've been hammering on all along. And that is prayer. Because if we're not, really, if we're not praying for people around us, where God has put you, if we're not praying for them, how can we ever expect the Spirit of God to draw them, to win them, to pull them in, when he uses a network of people to touch the lives of other people? So this guide piece on the front side talks about how to pray for the lost. Since so you can pray for them, ask God, claim laborers, seek God, receive and praise, repent, receive. And they all become scriptural-based, particular uh, areas in which you can pray. The back page of that, turn it over, is blank. And it's blank because it's for you to focus in on who those lost people are. So here's what I want you to do. This is homework. <gasps> and school's out. <laughs> but here's the homework. I'd like you to sit down with a blank page. And I'd like you to begin to list the names of people, some of whom might be your neighbor, some of you might be work associates, some of you might be friends, a variety of settings. Uh, and begin to just list the names of people you feel prompted that you believe God would call you to pray for. It's, it's not for the purpose of trying to now, okay, they're on my list, and now I gotta go get them. It's that's not it, it's what you need to do is bring them before the Father until you experience a heart change where that's a passion for you. Because if your heart's not in it, they're not going to be interested. They're not going to be attracted to that. It's going to be something that God does in your heart. And so here's, here's that's the assignment. Just before God, take your sheet. Now, you can, t you know, this fits nicely in your Bible. It's a half sheet. Tuck it right in there. But don't you come back to church next week with it empty. Don't, don't forget that it's in there. And as a matter of fact, if you're prone to put it in your Bible and forget it, there's extra copies of it back there. And you can put one in your purse or your wallet or whatever. Whatever works for you in terms of the list. And I don't want you to be showing it to somebody else. Um, I, I want this to be your list of the people that you believe uh, God is asking you to pray for. Remember the, the instruction of Jesus? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray ye. I realize that God can. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. He can do whatever he wants. He's all powerful. And I sh I'm sure God can bring somebody through one of those doors because God is God. He can choose to do that. But the things that he may be doing out there to pull that person in are his workings and stirrings that he might be looking for someone to nudge them or to speak a word or given a simple invite to make it to through the door, if you will, and then encounter the Christ, the reality of Christ among us. So that's your, and, and I know this is probably like a crime and punishment line when it says most wanted list is you don't go to the post office and look, you know, who's who's been 
you know, somebody's been looking for. This is your list. Who are the people that you believe God is prompting you to pray for, to cover over in prayer? So next week, I'm going to get into, uh, I'll, I'll finish up the challenges. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to that part of the message. But I'm going to turn to the life of Philip, which we haven't talked about at all. Just some of the practical things about what God was doing in there and how he was working in that whole process. So uh, that's, that's, where, that's where we're going to go next week. Lord willing, and uh, assuming the temperatures don't go up to 210 degrees, we'll be okay. Now here's, here's what we're going to do. I, I want to just close in prayer. And I know I, I told Amber and Rebecca that, you know, so, so anyway. So what I'd like to do is just cover us over in prayer um, as we close. Do you know, uh, I had, oh, uh, that's the last piece of Prayer Connect. Now, now it's called Pray Magazine. Uh, is an amazing tool. I have, I ought to get some of those. They have so many helpful ideas and uh, theologically sound stuff for building relationships. Let me let me give you oh. one more story. Hang on, hang on. And I promise I'll take five minutes off the sermon next week. Well, I'll try to take five minutes off. I stopped in the district office and ran into Dwayne Stein. Dwayne is one on staff, and he works with, I think he's preached up here before. He came up one Sunday, I believe he said. And I asked him, I said, Dwayne, I said, how you doing? He says, good. I said, uh, been a busy summer. I, I recall him saying he was traveling and had a son that got engaged, going to get married in October. And I said, well, what's he going to be doing? Well, he graduated from Tacoma Falls College, and and he has a his major was in a, something about sustainable management as business or something, whatever, and, and across culture and in, in multicultural or inter, intercultural ministries. I said, oh, cool. I said, what's he going to be doing? He said uh, he's raising his support with Envision right now and is going to set up a microenterprise in Clarkston, Georgia, Atlanta area, suburb, where he will uh, have a, a farming enterprise to uh, raise camels and goats. I said, what? I, he said, yeah, I, camels and goats. I said, well, what's that about? He said, we found, they found that, there are a variety of different ways. They found that there's, Clarkston has like 400 and some different people groups. It's, it's amazing. They're, it's the most ethnically diverse community in the United States. But they have a particular interest in reaching Muslim folk who have a real love for camel's milk and goat's milk. And so they are uh, trying to establish this microenterprise to teach people or train people or whatever to, to, to build these farms or whatever. He said he's got a lot of things in place for that and whatever. And I thought, wow, I can't. I can't envision milk and a camel. I mean, I don't know how you 
I don't know how you do that. Probably goats is hard, but but at any rate, it was that piece that was of interest, and and I thought to myself, you know, I can't envision City Lights setting up a micro enterprise to raise camels and goats. But I think the question we need to ask is, what is it that God is asking us to do to touch the lives of people in our community? What is your milk and goat product? What is your camel and goat product? What is the thing that's going to build a bridge into your community? What will it be? And that's a whole nother issue in food for thought. Maybe we'll get around on that next week. Now, I told you five minutes ago I was going to pray, and I'm going to do it. So let's pray. Now, Father, I'm the first to confess that sometimes I can approach this issue of the lostness of people as a theological truth rather than a heart passion. And I suspect that could be similar for some folk, if not all of us here. And so on this issue of the lostness of men and women and boys and girls, would you do a work within our hearts to help us see what it would be like to be lost apart from God? We're thankful that we come as a community of faith and we understand what it means to have been found in Christ, to be moved from darkness to light, kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your dear son. So, Father, even as we look at a blank page that talks about our most wanted list, would you begin to let some stirring occur in the depth of our heart that will give us a real passion for even naming names that we can begin to pray over before you. Without trying to change or convert or sell something, may we pray over those folks. Give us a passion to do that. I will thank you for what you'll do. And may this week be different for each one of us as we work on that task and give us eyes to see a whitened harvest that needs laborers who are prayed and praying forth. And for what you'll do, we'll thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. We pray together. Amen and amen. Now, I will guarantee you that it's hotter outside than inside, even though it feels stuffy in here. It's because you're breathing. If you just stop breathing, it wouldn't be so bad. But, but I'm just joking at that point. I pray you'll have an excellent week. God bless you, meet you at your point of need. And uh, greet one another as you go. Be sure you get a bottle of water. There's about half a dozen left back there if you need one to go. Uh, make sure you're hydrated well. Bless you real good.